Hello, and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. This week, Pastor Stephen Paramala is on part three of the sermon series, Surrounded. Let's listen in. And when, we're, when we understand that God's presence surrounds us, when God's provision and protection surrounds us, we can rest in the finished work of Christ. We don't have to strive. We don't have to struggle. We don't have to feel like we have to earn something. But we can rest in the finished work of Christ Jesus. But as awesome as that is, and that is awesome, to be surrounded by God is not enough. Hold up. Did you just say God is not enough? Did you just preach heresy in this place? It's not that God is not enough. It's that He designed it so that we need each other. He designed His kingdom. He he designed His church that you and I need one another. Let me ask you a question. Can the way we interact with others affect how God interacts with us? Can the way we interact with others affect the way God interacts with us? We might initially say, Well, of course not. I am saved by faith. I'm not saved by works. So, of course, it doesn't affect that. Or you might say, that sounds like legalism. Like I'm somehow earning favor with God through my behavior. Here is what Dr. Tony Evans wrote in response to that very question in his book, Horizontal Jesus. And I think uh, it's up on the screen for us to read along. And he says this, The answer from Scripture is a resounding yes. Our relationships with other people do affect our experience of God. Not because we can earn God's answers to our prayers, we can't. And not because God hasn't already decided what to do, He most surely has. His plan is never in jeopardy. Rather, the reason why our horizontal relationships with each other affect our vertical experience of God is simply this. That's how God designed it to be. This is His kingdom. God is the one who decided the way we interact with others impacts the way He will interact with us. This is His design for us. You see, church, God's love for us does not change regardless of our behavior. But He will not bless us if we are unwilling to bless others. Did you hear me? He is unwilling to bless us if we are unwilling to bless others. And a prime example of this is found on the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospels. Jesus said that if you do not forgive others, God in heaven will not forgive you. Our interactions with others directly affect our relationship with God. Let me try to illustrate it this way. Boston and Avia, those are my two children. I love them with all of my heart. I would do anything for them in order to see them succeed. I would give my life for my kids. That's how much I love them. My love for them is secure. They never have to worry about them being my children or about me being their father. Regardless of what they do and choose in life, they never have to worry about me losing my love for them. Regardless, no matter what Boston or Avia does on this earth, even if I disapprove of it, 
that's never going to change my love for them because they are my children. Saying all of that, if one of them mistreats the other, my love for them does not change, but they will experience a different side of me. If they don't share with one another, or if they say something nasty to one another, or if they exclude one another from what they're doing, my love is not going to change, but they're going to see a different side of daddy. There are behavioral standards in our home, so if one of them does something to go against those behavioral standards, they're going to experience and they're going to have some consequences. My love for them hasn't changed. In fact, because of my love for them, I will give them consequences because it's my job to train them in the way that they should go. It is my job as their parent to train them in godliness. Now, while my love for them is secure, if they act in this way, they may have to write sentences. They may be grounded from screens. We may be having a family movie night and they might not be able, they might have to go to bed early so they know what it feels like to miss out on something. It's not because my love for them has diminished. It's because of my love that I am trying to set them up for success and train them up in godliness. When we withhold love and forgiveness and generosity or time from our brothers and sisters and hoard what God has graciously given to us, we are not removing ourselves from God's family, but we are cutting ourselves off from God's blessing. Because we're not owners of our resources, as God's children, we are simply stewards or managers of these resources, and we are to use them for the blessing of others. Did you hear that? We are not owners. We are stewards. We are managers. And so the things that God blesses us with, we are supposed to be a blessing to others with those things. We are not supposed to use those things for our selfish gain and to hoard things to build our own empires. We're supposed to use them to bless our brothers and sisters. Tara, can I use you for an example? Can you come up here? Can we give it up for Sister Tara in the house? Okay. <laughs> Let me give you an example of our interaction with others impacting the way God blesses us or not blesses us. If I took out of my wallet a $100 bill, if I gave it to Tara and I said, Tara, would you please take a couple people out for lunch after church and use that money to be a blessing to others? And then I found out that she took that money and bought herself a new pair of boots. Next time, would I decide to use my resources in a different way? If I asked her to go bless somebody for lunch and she used them for her own boots, I'm going to give that $100 to somebody else next time to be a blessing that they'll actually use it for the reason I gave it to them. Okay? That's how it works with God. God blesses us for us to be a blessing to others, but if we don't use it for that purpose, why is He going to keep... If he's a good God, if he's a just God, if he's trying to train us, why would he keep giving us things if we're misusing what he gives us? Amen? You can have that and use it for whatever you want. Surrounding ourselves and immersing ourselves into Christian community is all about one another. It's all about one another. Amen? This is paradoxical in nature to what we were brought up believing here in the American church. At least it was for me. 
preachers would preach these emotionally charged messages about Jesus dying for my individual sins. And now that my individual sins are forgiven, I need to discover my individual purpose. And once I experience those two things, I can somehow change the entire world by myself. Anybody else hear messages like that growing up? I guess I'm the only one, but I did. Okay, Jesus died for my individual sins, so once I discover my individual purpose, if I go fulfill that individual purpose, I and I alone will change the entire universe. But if you look at the life of Jesus, he did the exact opposite, didn't he? When he's resurrected from the dead, instead of staying here on earth in his glorified body and blowing everybody away with this incredible living miracle, what did he do? He ascends back to heaven, but not before empowering. He made himself known to over 500 people, but he didn't stay on this earth. He ascended back to heaven, but not before he empowered 11 men, 11 disciples to take his kingdom message to the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even when Jesus was pressed by the religious people about what he thought the greatest commandment was, he responded with love God and, everybody say and. He said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. He basically and essentially equated these two commandments together where you can't separate them. Our love for God is shown by our love for one another. That means it's not enough to just love God. We are also commanded to love one another. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 13 and verse number 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus' metric for discipleship wasn't perfect doctrine, although doctrine is very important. His metric wasn't perfect church attendance, although that is very important important. It wasn't that you never miss a quiet time, although having a quiet time with Jesus, your prayer time and your, your, your reading uh, the Bible, that time is very, very important. Jesus's metric for discipleship was our love for one another. That's how you identify as a disciple, as a follower, as an apprentice of Jesus, by how you love one another. Just like there is no I in team, there is no I in church. It's all about one another. This is a kingdom principle. So today, I want to talk to you about the art of one anothering. The art of one anothering. So let's turn to two different passages in your Bible, if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever. Uh, the first passage is found in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And the second passage is also in Hebrews, but in chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. So let's start with Hebrews 3, uh, starting with verse number 12, and it'll be up on the screen for you to read along. It says this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Verse 13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now let's jump over to Hebrews chapter 10 and read verses 23 and through 25. 
Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. There are several mandates throughout the New Testament to one another, each other. Okay? For example, the New Testament tells us to love one another. It tells us to spur one another toward love and good deeds. It tells us to confess our sins to one another. It tells us to pray for one another. It tells us to wash one another's feet. And I hope that one is a metaphorical one because I don't like touching feet, especially crusty, stanky feet, okay? Uh, the New Testament tells us to be devoted to one another. It tells us to forgive one another. It tells us what we talked about last week, that we are to restore one another. But today, I want to focus our attention on the mandate to encourage one another. The New Testament tells us that we, as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus, we are to encourage one another. We see especially in Hebrews 10 that the people this letter was written to were neglecting meeting together because of persecution and other hardships. They were also neglecting encouraging one another. There may have been discouraged they may have been discouraged and afraid because of the persecution they were facing, maybe because of poverty they were facing, maybe because of external circumstances they were facing. For whatever the reason, they were discouraged. And because of their discouragement, they were, they were uh, not meeting together like they should and they were not encouraging one another as they should. Any of you walk in here today feeling discouraged? Maybe something's happening at work that's caused you to be discouraged. Maybe you feel like you're failing at life. Maybe you feel like you're failing at being a parent, or you're failing at being a, a spouse, or you're failing at being a, a, a student. Maybe you just feel like you're failing at being a human altogether, and you walked in here discouraged because you just feel like you're failing at everything. Maybe you've been praying for something and you're not, getting the answer you're looking for. And you've prayed and you've prayed and you've cried and you've, you've read Scripture and you've prayed back Scripture and you just feel discouraged because you don't seem to be having the answer that you are looking for. Maybe you keep falling into the same sin patterns and it's got you discouraged. The audience that this letter was written to were feeling discouraged as well. What does it mean to encourage somebody as the author of the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews, as he tells us, we need to encourage one. What does it actually mean to encourage someone? Because it's more than just patting someone on the back and telling them, great job, uh, like I would if Boston or Avia brought home a test that had an A on it, right? It's more than that. It's more than just telling someone that they're going to be okay, because sometimes they're not going to be okay, right? It's deeper than simply complimenting someone. So what does it mean, biblically, to encourage someone? Well, what it means is that we point them to Jesus. What it means to encourage one another is to point them to Jesus. Jesus is truth embodied. Therefore, when we point people to Jesus, we are pointing them to the truth, right? 
Hebrews 3 tells us to encourage one another so that we will not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The only way we can escape the deceitfulness of sin is by the power of the Spirit which is found in Jesus. You receive the power of the Spirit via relationship with Jesus. If we're truly in community with one another, we can't have the attitude when someone is hardening their heart towards God. Well, it's their life. We can't have that attitude with the people in our community, the people we have relationship with. That is not good enough. Well, it's their life. There's nothing I can do about it. Well, the Bible tells you that you and I are to encourage one another so that people don't fall into the deceitfulness of sin. Our main responsibility as the community of Jesus followers is to constantly and relentlessly point people back to Jesus. Because there are a lot of people right here in this community, people that are sitting in these seats and people that call the Grace Place NYC their home, they are discouraged. They feel like they're failures. They feel like they feel disappointed and they, 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 they... They feel depressed and they feel down in life. And so you and I, we need to be aware of those things and we need to encourage one another by pointing those people back to Jesus. Why does Hebrews 10 tell us not to give up meeting together? Why does it tell us not to, not to <clears throat> excuse me, give up coming to church on Sundays and attending small groups and Friday night lights and other get-togethers? Why does it tell us not to forsake assembling together? It's because we naturally drift away from Jesus and we need our brothers and sisters to encourage us to put our faith back in Jesus. Because our natural tendency is to drift away from the Lord and so it's the responsibilities of our brothers and sisters that we're surrounding ourselves with to constantly and relentlessly point us back to our Savior. When I'm struggling to love my wife the way I should, I need my brothers and sisters to point me back to Jesus and show me how my marriage is a picture of the bride of Christ married to the groom, Jesus, and how Jesus loved His bride with a self-sacrificing, a selfless love, which ultimately resulted in Him dying for His bride. I need my brothers and sisters to point me back and show me The way Jesus loved His bride is the way I need to love my wife. When one of you are struggling with pride, you need your community to point you back to how Jesus humbled Himself unto death on a cross. Amen? We need to encourage one another in this way. To be an encourager means to see the God potential inside of people and speak to that potential. Not just see people where they currently are, but see people through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of what God is doing in their lives and speak to that. Amen? For example, if someone is currently addicted to something, we need to tell them that it is absolutely, positively possible for them to be free from whatever has them bound. Whatever has them imprisoned, we need to speak to them and say, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And you do not have to stay bound. Amen? If someone is emotionally defeated, we need to let them know over and over and over again in different ways that in Christ, they already have victory regardless of how they're feeling currently. Our feelings can lie to us. Okay? 
And so we need to encourage them and tell them that you have the victory, not because of what you did, but because of what Christ did on the cross. Let's believe the best in people instead of assuming the worst, right? Stop being a negative Nancy. Let's stop telling people all the reasons they can't do something and encourage them that if they have faith as small as a mustard seed, mountains can move because Jesus told us that. Let's stop discouraging people's dreams and start encouraging and empowering people to pursue their dreams. Some people, just by being around them, you feel like you need to pop some antidepressants, right? You ever you have people like that in your life? Just being around them. You're like, where's the Adderall? <laughs> is, that, is that right? I've never taken it. Is that an antidepressant? You just feel like just being around people. You've just got to take something because just being in their atmosphere, you start to feel depressed. The world is falling apart. There's no hope. Everything is a conspiracy. No one can be trusted. They're cynical about everything. They have a can't attitude instead of a can-do attitude. These are people who think very, very small. Surround yourself with people who can grow with you and will encourage the God-given destiny inside of you. Amen? Kingdom people are an encouraging people. Kingdom people are constantly and relentlessly pointing the people of the kingdom back to their king. Encouragement, hear this, encouragement is the language of the kingdom. Encouragement is the language of the kingdom. You know, as a pastor, there are many times when people will share with me their struggles in life. They'll open up to me and say, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm dealing with. This is what happened to me. It may be depression. It may be a health issue that they're going through. It may be unbelief. It may be a disappointment with God because He didn't show up the way they expected Him to show up, and so they're disappointed in God. It may be a temptation in their lives that the Bible forbids that they're wrestling and grappling with, and it's just... It's just tormenting them, this wrestle between the flesh and the spirit in their lives. You know, when that happens, my responsibility as a pastor and your responsibility, if that happens to you as a, as a believer, okay, it's to artfully and skillfully and biblically point them back to Jesus. It's not to just give them advice that you think up in your own mind and in your own intellect. It's not to give them some sort of self-help. It's not, it's not this false encouragement where you just tell them what they want to hear. No, it's to skillfully and artfully and biblically point them back to Jesus. He says, Jesus says, Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You see, church, we are not designed or equipped to give people rest. Only Jesus can give people rest. My first point in talking about what it means to encourage one another was to point them to Jesus. My second point is this. Point them to Jesus. <laughs> My third point is this. Point them to Jesus. My fourth point is point them to Jesus. To encourage one another, to encourage each other, is to point people to Jesus. Another
reason that encouraging one another is so important is because oftentimes there is a waiting period between the promises of God and the fulfillment of these promises, right? God says something, there's a gap, and then there's a fulfillment that happens, right? And it's in this gap period that we all get jacked up, we all get resentful, we get bitter, we get angry, we start blaming God, we start blaming other people, we start losing our faith, we start wavering. It's in this gap period. That's why it is so important that you and I, we practice, we practice encouraging one. And this is why it's so, so important. Let's go back and read Hebrews 10, 23 again. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Who's, who's faithful? The one who promised is faithful, right? So if God is faithful, then why don't we see the fulfillment of what he says he's going to do immediately? Maybe God spoke to you about being called to a specific career, yet you don't even seem close to that career where you're currently at. You're, you're, the promise is over here, the fulfillment is over here, and you're somewhere over here. Maybe you are believing for the salvation of a family member, but it seems like as every day passes, they're getting further and further and further away from God instead of closer to God. The promise is over here, the fulfillment is over here, but you are somewhere over here. God called me and Priscilla to plant the Grace Place NYC over six years ago when we were living in another state. Yet, six years later, we're still not a self-sustaining church. You see this theme throughout Scripture of what theologians call the already and the not yet. We're in a state of the already and the not yet. God promised Abraham a son of his own, yet he had to wait 25 years for the fulfillment of a promise of his own son. God promised Joseph through a dream that his family would bow down to him and that they would look to him for leadership, yet it took 13 years for that fulfillment of that promise. It took him being thrown into a pit, then being sold into slavery, then being, uh, 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 then being imprisoned until finally... Finally, after all of those years, the promise was fulfilled through Joseph. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has made us new creations. Yet, we still grapple and struggle with our old sinful nature. We are in the already and the not yet, right? God often uses the waiting time from promise to fulfillment to prepare us for what he wants to do. Because... Uh, uh, most of the time when He gives us a promise, we are not even close to being prepared to walking out that promise. And so if He allowed us to walk in that promise as soon as He said it and spoke it, we would self-destruct. We would fail. We wouldn't be able to handle it. And so He takes us through a preparation time. But the problem is, so many of us give up during that time. So many of us, our faith starts to waver during that time and we give up on what God promised us. He, it's during this waiting time that he's pruning us and growing our character and our capacity to receive everything he has for us and everything he wants to do through us. It's in those waiting times that we as believers need to encourage one another to not give up, 
because many folks miss out on the blessings of God because they become impatient and give up in that waiting time. Many people stop serving God because they feel like he disappointed them for one reason or or another. Or what really happened, someone that represented God to them disappointed them. And so because of that, they no longer want anything to do with God or his church. We need some Holy Spirit-filled encouragers in the church. Amen? We need some people that speak the language of encouragement. And we start finding people that are discouraged and start to encourage them. If you feel discouraged today because you aren't as far along at this point in your life as you hope to be, I want you to know that if you're still breathing, and if you are staring at me right now, I think you're still breathing. (laughs) If you're still breathing, God isn't finished with you yet. God is not done with you. If you feel discouraged today because someone is mistreating you at work or someone in your family is mistreating you, I want to encourage you and tell you that this is an opportunity for you to obey the words of Jesus and love your enemies and love those who persecute you. This is an opportunity for you to be obedient to what Jesus told us to do because building treasure on the inside of you as you learn to love the unlovable. As you learn to love those that irritate you and rub you the wrong way. As you learn to love and forgive those who are annoying you and are mistreating you and and doing all of these different things to you. As you're doing that, God is building treasure on the inside of you that no man can take away. He's building patience in you and perseverance in you. So don't give up. I want to encourage you from uh, the stage today. I want to encourage you from the pulpit today to not give up because God is building some beautiful, beautiful treasure on the inside of you, if you will just hold on and hang on and keep going, I just want to encourage you to not give up today. The writer of Hebrews tells us to encourage one another so that we won't fall for the deceitfulness of sin. If we see our brother or sister starting to drift away from the faith, we need to encourage them to refocus their heart on God. We need to encourage them to not give in to the plans of the enemy. And this is what I've seen over, I've been in ministry for a while. This is what I've seen over and over and over. When someone starts to feel discouraged, when someone starts to feel depressed, when someone starts to feel like they're failing in an area of their life, the enemy's strategy is to get them to isolate themselves. And I've seen this happen in people's lives over and over and over again where they they haven't come to church in a few weeks. I'll reach out. I'll go go meet with them. And they'll say, "I I just feel like I need to get some things together. I just feel like I'm just struggling right now, so I just need alone time. And the truth is that is exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to isolate you from your brothers and sisters. He wants to isolate you from the very relationships that you need to get through what you're going through. Because if you're alone, man, your mind is a war zone, a battlefield for the enemy. And you have no one 
Yeah, you have God, and that, that, that is awesome, and that, that, is, that is great, but God designed it, right? He designed it for us to be there for one another, for us to encourage one another. And so when we isolate ourselves and say, I need to fix some things in my life and then come back to church, where are you getting your power to do that? Because I don't have the strength in me to fix myself. I don't have the power inside of me to change myself. It's only the power of God and the power that, that, that comes from the Spirit of God living in my brothers and sisters that helps me walk my faith out. We need to encourage people to not give in to the plans of the enemy. We need to encourage them not to give up on the promises of God. Like the song said, all His promises are yes and amen. They might not happen in the moment we want them to happen. And that is why we need to encourage each other. Keep believing. Keep praying. Keep moving towards that promise. Because if God promised it, He is not a man that He should lie. It is going to be fulfilled. But it's not going to happen in your timing. I need people in my life to encourage me to keep putting my hand to the plow in establishing this church because there's times where it gets discouraging. There's times where it gets hard. There's times where, where I feel overwhelmed and I need my brothers and sisters to encourage me to keep going, to keep my hand on the plow and to keep looking forward and not to look to the right and not to look to the left and not to look in the rearview mirror, but to keep my eyes gazed and fixed on Jesus and where He is taking us as a church. With it being a week away from the Super Bowl, I have to use a sports illustration. Home field advantage is a real thing when it comes to sports. Those of you who are familiar with sports, you understand this. Home teams generally win more games than road teams, right? But why is this? The field and the court that they're playing on, it's the same size. The ball, whether you're at home or on the road, it's the same size. The jerseys, although they might be different colors, they're the same jerseys, right? Your shoes and your cleats or whatever, your gear, whatever you have on, it's the same thing whether you're playing at home or on the, you're on the road. But why is home field advantage a real thing? Why is it that when you play at home, you generally win more than when you go on the road? Why do teams fight so hard during the regular season to get home field throughout the playoffs? Why is that? It's because of the strength that they receive from the fans in the stands as they are screaming and encouraging them and willing them to victory. That's the difference. Everything else is the same. The field is, the grass is, whether you're in Kansas City or you're in San Francisco or you're in Detroit, the grass is the same. The grass is the grass. The footballs are the same. The basketballs are the same. But it is the fans that are screaming and encouraging you and willing you on to keep going when you feel like giving up. That is how home field advantage works. Amen? It should feel like we have home field advantage every time we step into church. Every time we step into someone's home for a small group, every time we have uh, lunch with another person in our church or coffee with another person in our church, it should feel like we have home field advantage because that person is encouraging us, because that person is in our corner, because that person is telling us, do not give 
up. You might be discouraged right now. You might feel like a failure right now. You might feel like isolating yourself right now. But don't give up. Don't give in. All of his promises are yes and amen. So keep fighting the good fight. Amen. It should feel like if you're a part of the Grace Place NYC, anytime you come to a gathering, or if you're just going out one-on-one, it should feel like a sense of home field advantage for you because you feel like there are people on your side. Because so many of you, when you go to work, you don't feel like that. When you go to school, you feel like you don't feel like you feel like everybody is cutthroat competing against one another. Everybody is stepping on each other to get to climb the corporate ladder. So that is why community surrounding yourself with the right people, that is why it's so, so important. As a community, we need to be pointing people to Jesus. We need to be pointing one another to Jesus. In closing, that word encourage found in Hebrews 3, chapters 3 and chapter 10, means to comfort, implore, or to urge. That's what that word encourage means. We are to comfort our brothers and sisters when they are discouraged, when they're down, when they're grieving. We are to encourage, we are to comfort them. We are to implore our brothers and sisters to place their trust in Christ when their faith is wavering. Amen? And we need to urge our brothers and sisters to continue pursuing God's agenda for their lives when they feel discouraged, when they feel like nothing is happening. We need to urge them to not give up and to continue to pursue God's best for their lives. Church, go out and encourage someone this week. Go out and point someone to Jesus this week. Ask God to help you look at the cup half full instead of half empty all the time. Go find someone to comfort that's walking in pain this week. They might not just fall into your lap. You might have to go after them this week. And I want to encourage you to go encourage someone else. When you look back at your life, you often remember and have fond feelings for people who believed in you, right? People who gave you a chance. People who took a risk on you, even though they... You weren't really qualified or whatever. Someone took a risk on you because they saw something great in you. We often remember those people and have fond feelings for those people. People who pushed us and stretched us in ways to help us accomplish things that we didn't think we could ever accomplish. Church, let's be those people to someone else this week. Let's be those people to each other, to one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's speak life over one another. Let's urge one another to not give up. Let's implore one another to hold on to the promises of God. Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to parts one and two of Surrounded, along with other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. For further details about the Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.